0: Everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Dark Art Society Podcast. I am your host, Chet Czar. Episode <clears throat> That's a good question. I should figure these things out before I start. Episode 130, I think.
1: Um, uh, see, I'm looking. Oh God. Why isn't it coming up? Why am I not signed in? What the fuck? Ah. Okay, sorry. Hey, everybody.
0: All right. Today is episode... Come on, baby. One thirty. See, I was right. I didn't even need to check. I interviewed Jordu Shell today <clears throat> or not today last week and it was a great episode i think the podcasts have been really good lately i don't know about y'all but they seem to have really gotten in a groove and this is a, another great one um so yeah you're gonna love it george amazing okay what's going on with me I just finished i i had some um side projects that kind of took over my life for about a week i had to do some after effects um adding some police lights to a friend of mine's film he produced so i'd do a bunch of tracking and relearn after effects it's been so long i love after effects though what an amazing program uh And I had to finish Mike Carell's Mysterian project, this dice cup and a card box sculpture. So I got that done. Thank God. Now I can get back to all the other shit from months ago that I have to get done. Sketches, studies. Oh God, it never ends. I wanted to also say um, after last week's episode, a friend of mine, Steve Cleff, texted me. He's like, are you okay, man? <laughs> and I didn't realize that I sounded that bad. <clears throat> but apparently, um, I, I was bitching a little bit. Uh, I'm fine. I just want to let you know in case anybody else was wondering. I always assume if one person asks a question, then there's probably at least 10 other people thinking it, but don't bother to ask. Anyway, I was just, you know, I had a rough week there and I kind of came out of that, but it's, you know, everybody has that, right? It was a helicopter. Um. <clears throat> so yeah, it was no crisis or anything. Just, you know, just complaining about working too hard and all that stuff. So I just want to let you know, I'm totally great. Um. Okay. Where were we? Oh, I have a, uh, okay. First off, please support my Patreon if you can. Patreon.com slash JetZar. It's really good. Lots of cool stuff coming. Lots of tool stuff coming. I'll say that too. <clears throat> I'm going to, uh, cause I have a box of pictures from the tool videos, uh, working behind the scenes. I just need to find that box. And I'm going to post them all on my Patreon. It's going to be pretty cool with all the hype around the new album and stuff. I thought it'd be a good time. So patreon.com slash even small amounts of money add up. I have a goal amount in my head. I'm trying to hit within six months or so. And you get a free glow in the dark gas mask pin. If you join, even at a dollar, you don't have to pay anything, not shipping or anything. So it's a good deal. And you're supporting me, helping me to keep going and you're getting to see all kinds of cool stuff that I'm not showing on uh, regular social media, which is most of my stuff now is on Patreon. Same goes for this podcast. If you really enjoy the podcast, throw down a buck a month if you can. Uh, It's cheap, 12 bucks a year. It's cheap uh, for all the value you get. And uh, you can always pause your membership or cancel it and then join later if you can't afford the dollar that month. So it's really easy to do. Patreon is the future for for independent artists, I believe. So please support. Uh, It's making a a huge difference in my life, and I really appreciate it. Thank you for everybody who's already supporting. You're you're really uh, doing a great thing for me, and I appreciate it, and I won't forget it. Okay. Where are we at? Oh, I have another announcement. I've been meaning to announce this for months now, but I just, you know, everything's in chaos, basically. Um, but in October, October 12th, I think. Oh, God, there goes a the dog. Okay, October 12th, we are going to have the first official Dark Art Society group show at Capro Gallery. And it's going to have <clears throat> just kind of like the best of the best of the, of the dark art scene. Um, people, it's mostly people that have been uh, interviewed on the show. Um, you know, like Stan Dark Art, Sam B., Brian Smith, Liz Lopez, Rachel Bridge, Dos Diablos, Stephanie Nagaki, um, <clears throat> Tom Baxa, Vanessa Lemon, Chris Haas. We got Jose. Jose Manuel schmill his daughter sending a huge piece for the show it's going to be amazing so anyway that's coming up uh, october 12th opening at copro gallery and we're going to try and do some kind of live uh, podcast from there so okay there's that <clears throat> and uh now that's announced okay let's go with the the, the new pledges on patreon Uh, I think this is where I left off. Excuse me. Okay, we got Angelica Medrano. Thank you. There's a deletion. There's another deletion. Dan Kalana upped his pledge. A couple bucks. Thanks, Dan. Okay, Patrick Arsenault. Arsenault. Thank you for pledging. Brian Brown, Instagram at Mr. Underscore NME. Thank you for Supporting the podcast, and Kirsten Young, thank you so much for supporting this podcast. You are making it happen, because if the Patreon was not bringing money in, I definitely wouldn't be doing this podcast. That's the only thing keeping this afloat. So thank you for supporting it. Okay. Now, on to the
1: five questions. Where is it? Okay, here we go. I haven't screened
0: these yet. I'm just kind of knocking them down by one, so, uh, 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 let's see. Uh, Ronnie Harion, as as've been as long as you' have been doing such beautiful work, how do you keep inspired at such a high level? Well, thank you, Ronnie. Ronnie's a really cool guy really great person. Uh, I've talked about inspiration before I uh, generally, I don't have a problem. It's <clears throat> I, I seem to have uh, not have a big problem with you know writer's block, so to speak, but uh, I do have times where I, I'm not feeling it, but it's usually from fatigue, just not being tired or being too tired and not having enough rest. So uh but when I am down <clears throat> inspirationally, I'll look at things that inspire me. I talk about in a, in a past uh, episode about the the fear show that I did at Copro, and I was very i wasn't I, I wasn't inspired, and so I went to a bunch of old horror comic uh, cheesy horror comic book book uh books of horror comics from the 50s and 60s and that really inspired me. Lately I've been I got this book about oh God I forgot Raphael what's his name I can't even think of his name but it's posted on my Patreon. Um
1: and uh he, he that is inspiring the the pulp uh book covers
0: from like the 40s and the 50s I just love those the cheap you know, crime novels and uh, comic books and horror comics, and just the covers for those. I just love that stuff. And so that's really inspiring. So anything I'm into artistically makes me feel creative. So when I look at good artwork from artists I like, it inspires me. So I guess
1: that's the answer. Uh,
0: Linda Birmingham, <clears throat> what do you tell inspiring artists, even your granddaughters who love art, how to go about being the
1: best that they can be? Mm.
0: Oh, I, maybe that was, how, how do you tell aspiring, aspi, aspiring artists, even your granddaughters who love art, how to go about being the best they can be? Well, I tell my granddaughters are so young that they're, They're at the age where it's just sort of like, be creative, keep doing it. Uh, But aspiring artists, I, I, I always say, you know, learn the basics, learn all of the, if you want to be the best at art or the best that you can be, go and learn all the stuff you are not interested in learning, you know, composition,
1: anatomy, color theory,
0: life drawing all that sort of stuff. You got to have the solid foundation, the kind of traditional solid foundation. You can get weird later. You can make monsters later, but you got to know if you can do all of the foundational work adequately, you'll be able to do amazing creative work later. The whole point of learning all of the stuff that's kind of boring, like drawing your cat from life or drawing a still life or, a naked person sitting there in a room. That stuff is all there to serve your creativity later. You can't express your creativity properly without this foundational stuff. So I think that's
1: really important. And uh, I think a lot of
0: aspiring artists need to know that. So that's what I would tell them. And always practice, practice, practice is the other thing. Just constantly draw. If nothing else, draw constantly.
1: Every day. Okay. Rob
0: Freitas, who's like the amazing mold maker. I met it when I was working at Rick Baker's. He's.
1: Crazy good. Okay, Rob. What does Rob ask? Sorry. Okay, Rob.
0: Okay, forget this. I'm trying to do two things at once. You ever get the itch to realize your visions in a video type format? Yes.
1: Often. And you may know that, uh, or you may not know that that's kind of a long-term plan eventually once I get this book done short films or
0: who knows what feature movie comic book okay uh uh oh some backstory or context to to some of your art perhaps a little short yes exactly but the backstory context of my art the best thing you do is see I like to paint monsters Oh God, okay. I'm going to do these um, last two quickly because dogs are starting to bark. I think my wife's home. Um, okay. Victor White, if you could paint with anyone alive or dead, anyone, who would it be? I think that would be Frank Frazetta. That's who I'd, that's who I'd choose. Although he probably wouldn't get along pol- politically, but I don't
1: care about that because he was just a fucking... Master, and I would love to see how he does a lot of that stuff. Okay, question number five. There's a
0: good one. Keith Woodgore, Chet, can you tell us if you incorporate some ideas from your film work from the past into newer ideas with paintings? Yes, I do. I think a lot of my work, (coughs) my artwork, is informed by my film work. Because I approached the film work like I approached my artwork, like I was really into it. And I just wanted to make kick ass, amazing, weird creatures. Um, and the bummer was getting, you know, getting designs cut down in favor of safer designs and watered down designs. But that's beside the point. Um,
1: I mean, the, I remember working on one
0: movie, <clears throat> and there was a discarded design, and I actually used that for the painting Mother. I don't know if you know that painting I painted called Mother. That's kind of like, a, I based
1: the basic idea on on this design I did.
0: But uh, I changed it a lot, too. So... But yeah, my, I mean, I was in the film doing creature design in the film industry for like 20 years or 25 years or something. So it's going to have a huge effect on my artwork. I'm sure it's why I mostly do portraits, monster portraits and monsters for that matter. Okay. There's the five questions. Okay, right off. Subscribers.
1: Uh, okay. I think that's
0: it. Okay. That's it. Hope you enjoy this excellent interview with George Shell. I think it goes like two hours. So uh, buckle up and here it goes. What's up, George. You, how you doing? I'm doing good. How are you?
2: I'm cool, cool. You know, uh, I'm gearing up right now for this uh, this show in Indiana called Mask Fest, where, oh, nice. Uh, mask enthusiasts and makers uh, come together and celebrate the dorky art form. Of
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, do you do well there?
2: I do actually. Yeah, um,
0: you're got you've, you. You're like the king of Mask Fest, I imagine, right? I mean, you're the first. Well, First you're like the first guy who who uh that I know of that has been doing masks like as an art form, like really well done masks. Don't you well, think? Well
2: thank I mean I I but I mean I'm preceded by so many artists that inspired me to want to even do that. Uh you know, obviously the Don Post stuff and oh, yeah. special Absortions unlimited, be something studio, Death Studios.
0: Yeah. But, mm-hmm. but still though, those were more, I mean, I love that stuff too. You know, we, we both have a lot of similar, I think, uh, interests in that regard, but, but, but that was like commercial product. It was cool, but it was like commercial products and your stuff is kind of on a, I think on like a higher level. No, no disrespect to them, but your stuff no, is, you know what, you're you saying. Know what I mean, I'm saying, they're, right?
2: They're well, they're mass producing masks. Right. That's the main difference. It's a mass production Situation and and for me, um, you know I I remember once being at a at a trade show, a Halloween trade show when I was (laughs) nineteen, and I had brought a bunch of masks that I'd made and I was so excited to meet all these mask makers that I'd known known about for all these years Ed Edmonds and Don Post and yeah um and and Don Post said to me, well. You're like the guy, you know, I, I had masks for sale there and stuff. And he said, you're like the guy who customizes Ferraris in his garage. <laughs> I'm like Ford. <laughs> right. You know? And he, he was right. I mean, that's a very apt yeah. analogy, you know, because, uh, you know, I, I every mask I make, I, I try to make it like uh, basically a movie prop. Right. You know? <clears throat> um. Or, you know, just, just something that walked off a, a a high-end movie set. And, um, but, but I, and I, and I really want to push the boundaries of design and what's
0: mm-hmm. possible
2: in latex, right you know,
0: um, I love that. But, I, lo- I love that you're doing that. It's so cool.
2: But, but. Some of them, I mean, I got to be honest, some of them I've had to do in resin just because making molds on some of them would have just been too, like I'm working on this, this great big crab monster right now. Mm -hmm. And I mean, the the sculpture alone must have weighed 200 pounds and, you know, in, in clay, well, maybe not, maybe 150 Mm -hmm. pounds, um, in clay and to, uh, to mold it would have just, it, it just would have been. So we, so we did it in, in, in a brush up silicone and, and a very hefty plaster bandage jacket mm-hmm. and did it in resin. Cause it's just, it was just, I don't know how I'd ever gotten latex. Yeah. You know? yeah that sounds insane. <clears throat> but yeah, I mean, I just, I love the art form. I love mask making and I love mask makers and, I love imagination. You see, I've never been – I recently started a a Facebook group called Original Mask Designers. And I, I – in fact, well, why am I telling you this? I just invited you. That's right. I just joined. Accepted. Um, but uh, I got so tired of being on some of the groups on Facebook where it's just Michael Myers' mask. It's, <laughs> it's basically all it is. Right. There's like zero imagination. Yeah. I know people that collect only that, only Michael Myers masks, and like have dozens of shelves filled with different iterations of that stupid thing. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it's disappointing. It's disheartening. Yeah. And it, I don't know. It, it's just, I guess it's my little crybaby bruised ego. But to me, it's like borders on disrespectful when you see these incredible artists out there i mean there there are some kids out there doing masks who beat the shit out of me when i was their age right you know they're coming up with these incredible original things and they just get ignored in favor of this white face i I just so stupid
0: yeah well i don't know that's that's always the case when it comes to you know anything recognizable i mean i i can sell uh a painting of something from a horror movie quicker than I could sell an original design, even if it's a better painting. People just respond, you know, and it is kind of a bummer. Yeah. It is kind of a bummer. But on the other hand, I, I kind of get it. Cause everyone has their weird, you know, little thing they're into. I, I've bought, I've bought paintings from other artists that are like scenes from night of the living dead and stuff. So it's like, I kind of get it.
2: But, well, I mean, I, I've certainly, I've, ser- I'm not going to say I, I never, been attracted to anything movie-based. I mean, I I bought a painting from a guy on Instagram who did this amazing. It was a real small painting, maybe five, you know, four by seven or something, mm-hmm. four by six, um, of the creature for the Black Lagoon. But it was done so moodily oh, cool. and with such incredible um it was just great. It was right. undeniably great, and I I wrote him and I said, I just I have to have this. How much is it? So you know, it's not that I'm against people liking movie characters, it, but it, it the fact that 60 percent, 70 percent of the mask market interest. Isn't that stupid William Shatner? It's just—I <laughs> it just, I just can't even get over it. It's so ridiculous, it's, it's but act,
0: it's kind of hilarious in a way.
2: Yeah. It's, I it's mean,
0: absurd is what it is,
2: but, but, you know, but, but I mean, there are a lot of people as I'm finding out that, that were looking for a group where they could show off their original creation. Mm. And, uh, that, you know, I'm I'm discovering some artists I've never known about before that are just mind-bogglingly talented.
0: Yeah, it's crazy. It's, it's crazy.
2: Here's this 19-year-old kid mm. that goes to this mask fest show. His name is Noah Rivers, and this guy is just I, it 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 it's enraging and beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he he's so goddamn talented and he's so ahead of his years in terms of painting and sculpture and design, you know, but, uh, it's, it's, it's wonderful too. You know I mean? The the, the main thing is that I I love it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I love it when I come across a kid that's like kicking ass at this stuff and loves it and, and treats it like art, you know?
0: Right. Yeah. 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 That's, that's, I guess that was the point I was, I was trying to make is that, um, you're treating it like art, which is yeah is, is an, an original art too. And it's and it's the focus is on um you know, originality and design and character and you know, a lot of people do some great work, but you know, it's based on other designs. It's you know, but you've got like a whole world of amazing creatures that you're designing and uh, presenting it. I I just, I don't know. I've always ever since I first seen your stuff, I always thought of it as like, this is great art. I never thought of it as like, Oh, these are cool masks. I was like, this is great art. This is kind of the way it could be the way it should be really, because I always felt that way about makeup effects. Like when done right, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing artwork. Like some of the artists are amazing. And it was, it was just never kind of presented in a, in a, in a fine art, uh, context which is why I started that conjoined group shows it's like hey show sure. show what these people can do just because it's sometimes it's just a matter of the context that you're putting it in you know you can take something you made for a movie of put, course put it in a gallery and it's like it's amazing it's more amazing all of a sudden you know it's a trip
2: well i mean one one of the things i i i find um kind of depressing and about the effects industry and one of the reasons why i kind of I've pretty much moved out of effects completely, and pretty much do freelance design only. Mm
0: -hmm. That's the way to go.
2: I I, I felt like (laughs) um, we labored and labored and labored on these things, and once it was over with, it was disposable junk. You know, it was was not. I mean, it got almost no respect on set, (laughs) um, and was usually kind of thrashed and trashed. I mean, sometimes it needed to be. But, but, you know, there was there was this kind of um weird attitude from from uh, actors and actresses and, and the filmmakers and everything that that it was just like, I mean, I, you, I, I, there are several occasions where I, I, I did an appliance. I took all my time on this thing. The phone was run beautifully, it was applied. And the actor would just kind of lose their temper with the thing and just tear it off their face. Right. You know, after the application, it's like, Jesus Christ. Man. <laughs> you know, it's, it's incredible. Yeah.
0: That, that, well, you know, I can relate to that. I know exactly what we're talking yeah. about. Just the fact that, you know, we'd get put on the credit list behind like craft services and stuff just kind of shows our yeah. standing in that community. Um, uh, you know, the one time I got respect, I felt like I was respected. There was one time that I can think of, and it was when I went to set for Rick Baker. That time, it was like, I, maybe because Rick's reputation, it was kind of like people treated us res- with respect, but, you know, it wasn't hardly ever like that, working for other shops on other shows. And what stuff Was really. that
2: Planet of the Apes or something? Or?
0: Yeah, it might have been Planet of the Apes,
2: probably. Well, you know, I... I heard a really disheartening story from Rick Baker himself that he was, you know, on set and the director was deliberately blocking his view of the screen to see how the work looked. Really? And yeah. And, and Rick was kind of like, what? And it was a guy he'd known for many years and, and you know, it was kind of like, what the fuck is going on? And this guy was just acting like, you know, fuck you. I'm the most important guy in the room, you know? All right. Well, um, that's we'll kind. Check. I mean,
0: that's kind of how how I felt about effects. Is it's it, it, you know we didn't get the respect that we deserved, and I felt like the artists in effects were, um, probably some of the best in the whole crew as far as artist artistry goes and artists, <laughs> you know, like more talented artists and 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 they were kind of maybe treated the worst. It was weird because you, you know it is with like production executives and producers it's like those guys have no fucking talent generally and it, and it's no and, and they're they're calling all the shots pretty much and you know that's, that just kills you after a.
2: well i think i think that certain amount of time they're they're somehow or other um you know special makeup effects unlike visual effects mm-hmm special makeup effects and and mechanical creature effects and all that sort of thing with the exception of certain cases um has been relegated to a kind of blue collar uh, the the view of of production is that it's kind of a blue collar thing that anyone can do it right the, you know these guys are going to do the crap that we need no bang out the shit we need it's not
0: important we'll put, to the movie and
2: yeah we'll put it in front of the camera and it'll do the job and right. you know <laughs> and i mean to be fair to be honest even most digital effects are like that now it's yeah. kind of like this sort of um insert effect here mm-hmm. kind of thing and and you know it's it's just i i think there was a period in the 80s early to mid 80s where effects guys were kind of rock starry.
0: Yeah.
2: Oh, because so many movies were coming out that were fantasy related. And, uh, they were the, they were the focus of the movie. I mean, they still are, but it's, it's just not, it does not have the same kind of, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't think that, that we deserve to be treated as like superheroes or anything. We're guys doing a job.
0: Well, yeah. Yeah. Just as, Maybe as equals, at least.
2: <laughs> but, well, yeah. I mean, without without the effects, it's like, well, it's the same thing as not having Johnny Depp or right. Scarlett Johansson in your movie. It's exactly. like, if that's not there, then the audience won't get any thrill whatsoever. Right. You know, you can watch someone dance around in front of a blue screen all day, but no one's going to care. Right. You know, and, and if there's no monster, you know, you cut to a blank frame and there's nothing there so i i don't know i mean it's just the whole thing ended up being kind of bleak to me mm-hmm. and it's still bleak you know i mean i i do my design work and i and i have a great time doing it um but you know it's funny i was just reading an article an interview with david cronenberg who's one of my favorite directors
0: oh yeah mine too and uh I just watched The Dead Zone the other night again. It's like, oh, that movie's perfect.
2: I did too. I watched it very it. recently. Yeah. I watched it again very recently. Not only is there nothing wrong with it, I it's I think it's one of the great American films. Same it's here. Incredible, incredibly underrated. Oh,
0: so good. It's perfect.
2: And it's like a it's perfect movie.
0: Oh, totally. heartbreaking. Absolutely. I
2: think it's it's Christopher Walken's greatest performance. I think Brooke Adams is incredible. Yep.
0: Everybody's Herbert
2: Lom is incredible. Perfect in it. It's, I love Tom's scary, you know, it's yep. just a flawless movie. Yep.
0: Except for that um, one shot with the squib when the lady gets shot. The mother gets shot in the stomach and you see the, the squib, like the bag oh, of do blood. Oh, you see the bag? Yeah, you see the bag. It's like that's the only thing in the whole movie that they... That they oh, I
2: I, yeah, I, guess I didn't even notice. I just <laughs> I noticed it from I'm the, so caught up in, in what's happening in that horrible scene that it's just kind of like...
0: Yeah, right. I've seen it so many times, though.
2: Who's that, Colleen Dewhurst or somebody? I
0: don't know her name. You, you probably, You're probably right.
2: Anyway, the point is, he was talking about how he was pitching something to one of these um, to Netflix, Mm -hmm. and he um, said, you know, we, we came to an idea about what it was, so I went away and I Yeah, I mean, there was going to be a Cronenberg episodic show, you know, Wow. and he went away and he wrote the script and he came back and uh, he showed it to them and they said, he said, I didn't expect them to be Hollywood in any way. I thought they were outside of the Hollywood system. You know, they don't have to be, they, they don't have to answer to some ridiculous money man or anything. They're not going to be Hollywood about this. They take chances. He said, but I was so disappointed that they gave me the most Hollywood answer of all. They looked at the script and they said, yeah, well, it's not what we fell in love with in the
1: room. <laughs> Barf. Oh
2: and, uh, you know, and, and, and he said something after that that I thought was so apropos to pretty much any creative person in the industry. They want you, but they really don't. Right. I, I cannot tell you the number of times I've been hired to design for a picture because of my idiosyncratic style. And then they hate everything I do. Right. And it's, well, we, it just kind of, uh, can you make it less? And it's like, well, then why why the fuck did you hire me? <laughs> you don't really want what I do. Exactly. You want yeah. What this guy did, who does all this stuff tablum that everyone's expecting you know this kind of milk toast middle of the road nothing design yeah why are you hiring me why did you call me you know and i take the money but i i'm always always bitterly disappointed uh when i work on a film always yes yeah. <laughs> i've often described it as having a handful of sand and gradually the sand starts sifting through your fingers <laughs> and it sifts through it at a more rapid, rapid rate. And before you know it, there's no sand in your hands at all. Right. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, I felt that on every film. I mean, it was really bad on some, some major things I've worked on. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, and it's always, they always lull me into thinking like this time is going to be different. <laughs> this time, we're really going to offer you all this creative freedom. Right. And it's just like, they're full of shit. It never fucking happens.
0: Well, like, like Mitch, some
2: idiot says something. <laughs> it's all bad. You know,
0: like, I, I like how Mitch Devane puts it. He always Mitch Devane used to always say, yeah, I, I always try and put my be- best foot forward and they just step on it. Yeah, <laughs> basically.
2: Yeah, pretty much. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's a bummer. Well, okay, before we get into bitching too much, because that was uh, going to come up, two, two old effects guys talking about effects. It was going to turn into bitching, which is yeah. fun. But um, first, let's get the kind of the the uh, <clears throat> the kind of regular stuff out of the way. I want to find out a little bit more about your background, because I actually don't know about... I mean, I've read some things about you, some articles about you and stuff, but... Uh, like, None
1: of it's true. None of it's true.
0: <laughs> I'm just curious when you got into masks were you the weird art kid in school did you go to art school i don't think you did but maybe you did how did you get into the effects industry kind of like a quick little recap of your sure. early life you know so people have some context
2: well i i grew up a latchkey kid no i'm just kidding um i did i
0: mean i was but whatever the, well, were <laughs> we, weren't we I all in the book. 70s i mean weren't we yeah. all in the 70s pretty
2: much how old are you 51
0: 51 yeah
2: yeah, I'm 52. Yeah.
0: So, so we're in the um, same we grew
2: era. up right in the same era.
0: Three's company. Uh, era. Where
2: did you where <laughs> did you grow up? Here, right? California? Yeah,
0: San Pedro. Um yeah, well, where anyway. Are you from, are you from California? I, uh, what's that? Are you from California?
2: No, I'm from Philadelphia. Oh, that's right.
0: I knew that. I didn't know that.
2: Um, I mean, I was born in New York City, but at the age of two we moved to Philadelphia. So I consider myself more of a Philadelphian. Right than anything. Um but uh I I grew up um loving monster movies and horror movies and and science fiction and all that stuff. I used to I mean my my story is very like all the monster kids from our era. Mm-hmm. I watched creature double feature on Saturdays. One of the reasons why I think I despise sports especially football now is because it was often preempting the fucking horror movies <laughs> you know and i i'm telling you i would fly into a fucking rage yep. when i turned it on there was some goddamn football game on there <laughs> instead of blood spattered bride or monster on the campus or something, you know? it's Like, are you kidding me it was in the Fucking TV guy, <laughs> this week. Yeah, and tarantula, back, and back, followed by the creature walks among us.
0: And back then, it, you, you only had one shot at it too. It's like you well, only had one a, chance one to watch channel
2: it. channel that showed that shit. Yep. You know, there's no pay per view, fucking Netflix, Amazon, tulu <laughs> bullshit. So yeah, so that that was you know that was awful. But anyway, most of the time though, uh, football fucked off, and I got to watch these great monster movies. I grew up on a diet of that stuff. I was always drawn to art. I always liked drawing and and playing with clay at the time as a little kid. Mm -hmm. One of the pivotal moments for me that I can recall, there were were two pivotal moments that I think really got me into wanting to make monsters. Uh, One of them was uh, I was watching TV, and I I believe it was um, War of the Colossal Beast, Mm-hmm. Which is the sequel to The Amazing Colossal Man.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And, um, love that one. There's a... Yeah, it's an amazing makeup way ahead of totally, its time. Totally. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's a great makeup. I always thought it was like disturbing yeah, and terrifying. great and weird.
2: <clears throat> but, uh, in the beginning of the film, some guy is driving a truck and he sees something on the horizon. They don't show it, but he kind of goes ah! and he jumps out of his truck and he, Runs away and the monster comes over and picks up the truck. It's just a guy in a makeup, but they force perspective, whatever, mm-hmm. he, or blue screen, and they he picks it up and he looks at the truck. But when the guy sees the monster and runs away out of his truck, I kind of made some scared noise. I must have been five,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and I was kind of like, Ugh. "My mother said if you're going to be scared, you can't watch it," <laughs> and she just turned the TV off right before they showed the monster <laughs> and in a way it was a good thing because first of all, that makeup is horrific and I might've fucked me up pretty bad,
1: uh-huh.
2: but it also good and bad left me to have these day mares about what that thing looked like. Uh-huh. What was cool. it? What was it? So my imagination was already going <clears throat> wondering what this thing was. Um, and another thing was I saw uh, for some reason, you know, it's pretty amazing how uptight, the networks are nowadays um but at least on the uhf channel they were showing some movies that were shockingly gory uncut for some reason mm-hmm. in the late in the early 70s and again i must have been five or six and they showed this movie called the brain that wouldn't die yeah the classic and it's it, there is one horrendously gory scene in the middle or towards the end of the film where this guy gets his arm ripped off
0: yeah, by a monster down.
2: in a closet.
0: <laughs> he smears the blood down the wall.
2: Yeah. And he's like stumbling around in shock and smearing his bloody stump against the fucking wall.
0: Yeah. it's great. I mean, I was,
2: I was traumatized beyond all belief. Well, hold on. I'm just going to plug my phone in. Okay. Um, so I went. I went to my dad, and I said, "Dad, I saw this movie.
1: <laughs> Could you please?" And uh, my dad said, "Sure.
2: Um, I need to make sure that my phone is actually."
0: Okay. Yeah, you cut out. Uh, the charging. You kind of cut out for a second there. No, Hold again. on. I'm okay. 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 Can you hear me? Yep. We're good.
1: All right. Um,
0: so what did you ask anyway, your dad? What did you ask your dad?
2: But, uh, I asked my dad to make me a fake arm. Ah, cause I wanted to replay this scene. Interesting. To kind of control it. Yeah, almost. Yeah. Right. So my dad made me this arm out of cardboard and I and I swear to God, Chet. I like I said, I was six or seven, something like that. and my dad made me a cardboard arm, and I kind of thought, well, th- this isn't very realistic, but I, I guess I can use it. Like already, I was concerned with it not being real enough. But uh, it was, it was helpful.
0: Yeah. That well, that's what you know. Kind of, uh, Yeah, I totally, I totally get that. That's Arctic. Yeah, exactly. That's when uh, I went in the nineties, I went to a therapist because I was having some uh, uh, OCD and fucked up issues from my childhood. And one of the things that that came yeah, it, it it was a lifesaver for me. It was great. But um, one of the things that came out of that was that my therapist felt like my interest in horror was a way of gaining mastery over things that i was afraid of yeah you know and it and it served this kind of psychological function for me it kind of saved me in a way as a kid otherwise i couldn't have dealt with all this you know f- anxiety and fear i was having about maybe stuff that was going on in the, in the family or whatever so it was like a way to to kind of put it outside of yourself and deal with it in a safe way
2: well yeah i mean i it- when, if we want to get into you know, the anatomy of it all, you know, how, how this stuff, um, you, you know, what, what, what the reasons are, I, I, it's, it's always a fascinating topic to me. Yeah. Um, I think that uh, I was a, a, a pretty, you know, frightened kid. I, I think that I was kind of, um, you know, sensitive and all this mm. stuff I think that actually most of the, even though there's a, there's a big macho contingent in our business, which yeah. I'm not crazy about, but yeah. <laughs> um, I think most of the people that got into this stuff, got into it because this stuff scared the shit out of him as a kid. Yeah. And uh, they, yeah, sure enough, wanted to get some kind of, control um
0: yeah over the things that scared them
2: yeah i mean i i, I certainly did mm-hmm. um and you know it 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 definitely was cathartic to be able to sculpt them and literally have control over them right you could squash them you could you know do whatever you wanted it was your creation Yeah. And, and therefore, and, 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 you know, after a while that, that fear passes as we become older and we become afraid of the real worries of the world, you mm-hmm. know, um, but, uh, you know, it becomes, it's, it, that, that, that fear transmogrifies into more of a fascination right? Um, with I'm- this stuff.
0: And also kind of an honoring, in a way, honoring this thing that kind of helped us when we were kids.
2: Yeah, that's interesting. I never even thought of it that way, but yeah. But, you know, it's. I'll tell you a really interesting thing. I don't think I've ever really talked about this before. Oh, God. But um, (laughs) when I was a kid, I had this kind of twisted fantasy in my head that when i left the room or when children leave rooms the grown-ups take off masks that they're wearing of of adult people oh wow to reveal monsters underneath
0: oh my god that's amazing and what an astute I, observation for a little kid to have because it's kind of true
2: <laughs> well it really is and and the more i think about it the more i'm kind of I think that's a really fascinating thing that I went through because <clears throat> when you think about it, they they do have knowledge of things that we don't as kids that are really blackly terrifying. Yeah. They, they know that at any moment they someone can die. They know yep. about war and murder yep. and sex and all the things that are going to end up – being you know really really scary or confrontational or yeah. difficult for us as we grow up and uh you know i i, I it, it is sort of an interesting thing to have to have kind of picked up on in a way yeah um
0: yeah, it's very smart
2: well i mean smart i i don't know it, it just it was just this kind of strange feeling I had and I, I it, it was so bad at one point I even mentioned it to my dad.
1: Hmm.
2: And he said, "Well, I mean, did this, this I'm it's really me. I don't I don't wear a mask, you know, it's really me." <laughs> and you know, I mean, he was being as good a dad as as one could pray for, you know, at that point. But right. I don't I don't you know, I don't think he picked up quite on the
0: on the subtext. On the, <laughs>
2: yeah, the subtext of what was really going on in my mind about it. wow, um, but so so yeah, th- th- that was that was a strange era in my life, and i I, I really remember it strongly.
0: What age do you think that um, was?
2: I was probably about ten.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I mean, definitely not a little 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 kid anymore, right. Eight maybe somewhere between eight and ten, and I definitely uh, felt like there was a a duality. Right. Let's put it that way. Yeah,
0: there it's was like you, a duality. It's, you were it's like you were picking up on that, and, and your mind organized it in a way that made sense to you. Seems like maybe. You're, yeah, you're I mean, picking I, up that adults behave differently when you when they don't know kids are watching. Basically, because every every kid sees adults at times when they're not, you know, putting on their mask for the kids and behaving
2: properly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's certainly a certainly a strange phenomenon. Yeah. I remember that very clearly and and thinking, you know, what what are they what are they hiding?
0: (laughs) Right. It's a scary thought. Because um, <laughs> they're in well, control of I, mean, I, I found
2: out what the fuck they're hiding, because now I worry about that shit all the time. All those horrible things are my worries now. Right, right. Yeah, you exactly. Know, and, and You know, I mean, I we've had a few of our brethren, in fact, die in the industry. Yep. That were friends, and and th- there's nothing quite like realizing how fragile it all is yeah. in in, a, in in the profound way of you know a friend dying like right. that's it they're gone yep
0: You'll
2: never see them again yep um, but yeah i mean that's that's basically what uh, i guess yeah i guess i was picking up on that so so
0: okay so uh were you the when did when did you when did you make your first mask i remember i made my first mask when i was 12 years old and it was terrible when did
1: you get well, all your folks?
2: You're way ahead of me. I I don't think I made my first successful thing until I was like 16.
0: Yeah. Um, I wouldn't call mine successful. I mean, I, <laughs> it was terrible.
2: Well, I mean, what was it latex?
0: Yeah. It was a, 12 I, I, years old. Yeah i I saw I saw Dawn of the Dead and I saw The Howling and I was like, I gotta learn how to do this stuff. And I don't know how I I must have read some book. I don't even remember how I figured it out, but I sculpted on this plastic pitcher, like a water pitcher, because it was kind of cylindrically shaped. Yeah. So I just made like a face. And I was just so into it and like trying to get it done really fast that it was just god awful. But I did make a plaster mold. I did pour latex in it and pulled it out. It was terrible. Made put made it up with my mom's um foundation makeup and <laughs> well what hold on. I, I'm really curious about this. So
1: you
2: You how how did you make the mold? Did you have any help? Did you have anyone to guide you at all? Uh, I
0: I don't think so. I was you know I was subscribing to Famous Monsters since I was a little kid. I had all the any special effects book I I could find. I think I had that Richard Corbin makeup book maybe at that time. Um, somehow I knew how to make a mold. Um, let me see. Jesus, I yeah but it was like plaster of Paris, and I don't know where I got the clay, but I was into it though I was totally into it. <clears throat> I remember it was the summer before seventh grade and the second one I made was like the Phantom of the Opera, and it was a little bit better than that but um yeah i don't know i I don't even was remember
1: seventh grade
0: yeah, yeah, it was twelve. I was like i'm like my birthday's in November, so I was always like. Kind of almost a year younger than everybody else in school.
2: Okay. So, so wait, you saw the how, oh, well, whatever. I the map. <laughs> but cause I know the howling came out in 81.
0: Okay. you would have been
2: 13.
0: Right. Uh, okay. Maybe 12. I don't, I saw the dead came out in like 79 or something. 78, 79.
2: Dawn of the Dead it has a strange uh history. If you look it up on IMDB, Dawn of the Dead came out in 1978.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: It came out in 1978 in Europe. And it came out oh. in 1978 in Japan for some reason mm-hmm. or something. It didn't come out until 1979 here in the States. Right. So, and I remember I remember this really clearly. There was an article, there was a Whole issue of Newsweek that on the cover, it said Hollywood's scary summer. Mm -hmm. And there was a close up of a pretty woman whose eyes were wide open and her mouth was wide open and she was looking to the side and she looked very sweaty Uh like she was just sweating and. She had a real thin little nose, and I, th- I thought, yeah, she looks very pretty, but she also looks scared as shit. It was Sigourney Weaver? Oh wow! From Alien. Cool. And that issue, which I found on eBay and rebought, and I have it somewhere in my archives. Um, it covered the movie Prophecy, mm-hmm. the mutant bear spectacular, <laughs> which is a hilarious premise when you look back because. The idea was that the bears and the fish and the tadpoles and all the denizens of the lake in Maine or whatever were drinking mercury-laced water and mutating into monsters, which, if you know anything about mercury, is patently absurd. Right. (laughs) It just kills you. (laughs) If you're a carbon... based being it will kill you it'll fuck with your brain first and kill you (laughs) did you know that's why they call it the mad hatter
0: oh right yeah that's right because the guys who made hats making
2: hats involved mercury right and they would be dipping your hands into mercury and it would affect their brain and then they'd die
0: right i just remember anyway the only thing i remember from, from prophecy was that the kid in the sleeping bag getting bashed on the tree which For some reason, seeing that in the commercial, thinking that was so disturbing. Well, it
2: is disturbing. It's also probably the greatest moment in cinema history. (laughs) Um, Above every, I mean, you know, the ape man finds the bone in 2001. And Dorothy's (laughs) house lamp on the fucking witch. And I don't care. You know, I don't, frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. Play it, play it, Sam, and all this shit. And then there's the kid going end over end. (laughs) And hitting a rock, <laughs> and the and the and all those yeah, feathers, who's down, yeah. <laughs> down feathers, floating in the is fucking horrifying. I love that <laughs> yep. so much. Anyway, this issue of Newsweek covered prophecy, Nightwing, Dracula, which had Frank Langella in it. Mm-hmm. It also covered the Klaus Kinski. Werner Herzog Nosferatu. Mm-hmm. And I think. And it covered Dawn of the Dead and of course Alien. Um, and I I treasured that issue so much. Hollywood's Scary Summer. Yeah. Um, and with Sigorni Weaver on the cover, fans need to look that shit up.
0: Yeah, that's too cool. It's
2: bomb. But uh Anyway, uh, what was I even getting to? Mm, your first mask. Uh, oh yeah. Let me get. I. Uh, <laughs> I. I, uh, I don't know why, but but I remember Dawn of the Dead. I think the reason I mentioned that was I know Dawn of the Dead came out in '79 because Alien, Prophecy, Nightwing, all those things that were covered in the Newsweek article uh, were mentioned with Dawn of the Dead. Mm-hmm. Which didn't come out here until '79, okay. even though IMDb '78. Right. Anyway, making my first mask was a long and arduous process. Mm-hmm. I had no idea, and I wanted to know how to make masks from the time I was about nine. Wow. I was obsessed with the 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 Topstone masks.
0: Yeah, was just,
2: saw, those are great. Yeah.
0: Did you have you seen just the real
2: Topstone masks that real, were? in bins and stuff Yeah, in Woolworth's.
0: My yeah, my grandfather used to um babysit us and he would he would wear the the caveman mask and turn the lights off in the house and chase us around the house. Really I, I think that's got to be part of why I'm so fucked up. But um have you well, seen have you seen the video series on YouTube that that I don't know the the guy's name that he talks about the the history of the topstone masks?
2: Is his name George Lagoria? I
0: don't know. It's fairly new. I mean, they're from like the last year or so, year or two. They're they're really good. Like, I'll
1: have to look it up.
0: Yeah, I'll, I'll send you links. Th- yeah, they're awesome. Anyway, Topstone masks. I used to. We all everybody used to love those. I mean, those were the masks back
2: then. Well, the the caveman mask that you mentioned actually, the drawing of it in the ads was so cool that I actually a couple of years ago started to do a a, a realistic take on it
0: oh how cool that's of a great, that drawing, that's a great idea I,
2: unfortunately i never finished it i really should do it again oh totally man but um because i did the shock monster yeah. in a hyper realistic version yeah and i did the uh vampire girl
0: yeah so cool
2: in a realistic version i had the vampire girl mask my mom bought it for me for like i don't know three bucks or something it was all full of pimples and everything and, oh yeah but I, I latex pimples from the mold getting old but I was ecstatic because it was a rubber mask. I had a rubber mask, yep. and for some reason, yeah, I remember being on the on the bus going to taking the bus to third or fourth grade, mm-hmm. and there was a woman on the bus that I met that uh was an art teacher, and I said, "Oh, do you know how to make rubber masks?" <laughs> And and she said, Yes, I do, as a matter of fact, I do. I said, Really? How how do you do it? Well, the first thing you want to do is you're gonna get some tin foil, okay? <laughs> you're gonna get some tin foil, and then what you're gonna do is you're gonna get some rubber cement. Now, what you're gonna do, and I listened to her like <laughs> rapidly, and at the same time, again, I'm not fucking making this up. At the same time, I kind of knew, like, this doesn't sound right. Uh-huh. <laughs> in foil, what the fuck is she talking? Rubber cement? <laughs> what? You know, now, what? 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 I, I have this, this crazy fantasy, though, that someone recorded that, and it turns out that she was actually correct, and she was describing the formula for rubber cement paint, and I was too obtuse <laughs> to listen. But she wasn't. She was all wrong and shit. Right. But I... As you know, as at the time, um, you know, uh, I I, w- I was obsessed with those cheapy rubber masks. I saw a Cyclops from Topstone in a store when I was hanging out with my cousins in Central PA, and I flipped my lid. I I wanted it so bad I couldn't stand it. It had a little plastic eye in it and everything. And I thought mm-hmm. it was just the coolest thing. Well. I grew up, we grew up in an era, Chet, when mask-making had a revolution. Right. It really did. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It was spurred on by the fact that 10 years prior, you know, this all started around 75, 76, 10 years prior – Uh, Don posted, put out something called the calendar masks, which I'm sure you're very familiar with. Of course. Uh, they were, you know, all the classic universal masks, uh, you know, the mummy and Frankenstein Mm -hmm. mad doctor, Dracula, you know, all the, all the famous sculpted by a woman named Pat Newman, beautifully done. Yep. And, uh, that those came out at a time when a lot of future mask makers were just kids themselves. Right. And they were inspired by those to then start mask companies. So right around the early part of the seventies and certainly by the mid seventies, 75, 76, you had Savage Eye, which made amazing masks.
0: Hmm, I don't remember Savage you Eye. You had, huh? I don't remember Savage What's Eye. That? I don't remember Savage Eye.
2: <clears throat> yeah, they did masks with zippers up the back. They were amazing. Huh. Um. There was R Quinn Studio there was Be something studio and by the time we get to 78 distortions unlimited um, started and death studios in 79
0: yeah
2: and you know the, the basically these guys all were competing not for price point right but for quality
0: right and, des- and cool designs. Each yeah, and cool yeah. designs. Like that they were- the one with the face, the hand, like the the, the one that that uh
2: oh, I think- nightmare.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean that's classic. Nightmare. I remember seeing that in the back of a, a Fangor or a famous mo- I think it was a that was just like this is amazing. I could never afford those yeah, masks though. Not- I never got any good masks because I could never afford
2: well them. Nightmare Nightmare was an unusually expensive piece. There there were there were a few uh, I mean, Nightmare has five step, five iterations, mm. um, not including the, my remake of it for Distortions. But wow,
0: you did a remake. That's so cool.
2: <laughs> yeah, I did. That's awesome. But anyway, the the point is, um, these came out all the time that I was a kid, you were a kid, mm. and I was so blown away. I could not wait for halloween to come around to see what new (laughs) offerings were in the stores and my parents originally thought that i was interested in magic
0: Mm -hmm. uh,
2: because i spent all my time in magic shops
0: yeah they're the only places that had the masks though
2: yeah they had them all year round and so my parents were buying me books for christmas big thick books on magic and and blackstone and houdini and all this stuff and i was like what the fuck why are they buying me this stuff
0: Marshall Brodin. and
2: finally my parents they they caught on and they were kind of like oh he likes the rubber masks that are in there <laughs> so after that it was all it was all gravy but i was so inspired by those masks um there was one from don post called frankenstein 2001 that was like this decrepit zombie with a clear dome over the brain, it was mm. like a vacuum-formed dome wow. over an exposed brain, which I couldn't even imagine owning something that cool. Right. It was at a place called Hobbyland <clears throat> where I first saw it, and it was fifty-nine dollars. <laughs> I know
0: <laughs> that was and so when much. You're
2: Ten years old. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's like a million. Might dollars. as well
2: be. It's like wanting a Ferrari or something. Yep. It's like, forget you're not gonna fucking have that. Yep. Get get out of here. And then I saw a mask a little a couple years after that from Be Something Studio called She Wolf,
1: mm.
2: which was the first werewolf I had ever seen. This was way before even the howling. Mm. They did this mask in nineteen seventy-six. Wow. But I don't think I saw it until nineteen seventy-eight or seventy-nine. It was in a Spencer's Gifts. And it had an extended snout and little tiny needle-like teeth, and was sculpted so deep in the mouth that it had a tongue. Wow, a separate like a tongue that wasn't even connected to the 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 pan of the 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 mouth. It was like hanging there in space. It was fucking incredible. Wow. I'd never seen anything like that. I wanted that thing worse than I've ever wanted anything. And that one was thirty six dollars. <laughs> still might as well have been a million. Yeah, And I remember that's the first time I heard about uh, the concept of layaway. I was telling my mother how badly I wanted this mask. And she said, well, they have something called layaway, Jordy, where you basically put a a small amount on the item and they hold it for you in their storeroom and you can pay it off little by little. And I was like, wow, really? I never did it for some reason. But finally – in 1981, when I was a freshman in high school, I was going to performing arts high school for drama. And it was in downtown Philadelphia. And I went down one gray November afternoon to the costume shops that they had there because there's a big theater district in Center City, Philadelphia. And I saw my first Distortions Unlimited mask there, and it was this alien, this black-skinned alien that looked like something out of the 50s.
0: Yeah, I think I remember that. And it
2: had these kind of purplish-blue eyes with these tiny little dots staring at you, you know, tiny little pupils. And the eyes were completely wet looking. Mm-hmm. Now, I had seen this sort of semi attempted in masks before. I'd even seen some masks with like plastic eyeballs stuck in them right these eyes there was something different. These eyes were wet wet right. like the real thing. and I've wanted things all through my life. I wanted this girl named Stephanie Scott when I was a freshman. <laughs> In school, I've wanted fancy cars. I wanted this. I wanted that. You know, ooh, I want this house. I want the – I've never wanted anything like I wanted that rubber monster. (laughs) I wanted that thing so badly that I could not think about anything else. I drew it while I was in algebra class. (laughs) I came home and I sculpted it out of colored plasticine and then tried to make the eyes look wet with duco cement, which looked good for about five minutes, and then (laughs) would shrivel up and dry. I was so completely consumed with it that I was telling my parents about it every night, like, you've got to see it. It's so cool. Well, they got it for me that Christmas, and I was over the effing moon. This thing was also fifty nine dollars. And my parents spent the money and they got it for me. and I That's you cool. know, well, I had this growing collection of masks, which eventually did include, you know, I saved up my Snow shoveling money, my leaf raking money, my all my chore money, my allowance, everything, and I was able to get that mask, which was called Cretin. Well, they got that for me for Christmas, but I was able to save up for that She Wolf mask, and I was able to save up for the Frankenstein 2001 mask, and I had this growing collection of stuff, but I wanted to know how to make them, and I finally you know i was doing sculptures all the time i just didn't know how to get to the next level the right. next step and finally i decided when i was probably around 15 or 16 to get some patching plaster right you know it said plaster on it so i thought okay well patching plaster is for fucking walls if yeah. there's a hole in it and it sets up so fast that it's Incredible, like it's kind of amazing. Yeah, it sets up in about five minutes. Yeah, if 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 that well, I smushed it onto a sculpture as quickly as I could, (laughs) and there were huge air voids in it, and it was pretty much useless. But I made a mold, yeah,
0: (laughs) that's how mine was too. All kinds of bubbles,
2: yeah. And I I got some shitty rubber, which wasn't even the right kind, it wasn't slip casting rubber. And I poured it in, and I did it in layers and layer and layer, and finally I got out this shrivelled little mess, <laughs> but I had done it, yeah, you know, and by the time I was uh, a junior in high school or so i was I was starting to make masks, mm. like real the real thing. I didn't know how to fucking paint them. you know that was another thing I learned when I was a senior I went to a convention and some special effects guys there uh you know some tom savini guys told me about rubber cement and all this stuff so i was doing professional stuff by the time i got out of high school
0: cool wow yeah i remember that that actually i i uh i got that tom savini book
1: yep amazing and, book
0: yeah yeah totally amazing especially for that time and for for people our age at that time it, there was nothing like it but one thing that fucked me up was he gave a recipe or a formula for uh rubber cement paste paint and it was wrong and he wrong. said acrylic he, he did he whatever it, acrylic <laughs> he did something was wrong about it and i tried it and it didn't acrylic. work and it fucked me up from using rubber cement paint until i worked at Rick Baker's in 2 what that, i didn't use rubber cement paint all the time i was at Altarian. i was always like you're packs, kidding packs on everything because nobody
2: told you the fucking right no, formula. No. <laughs> oh my god yeah
0: and it's like i got to uh to rick's in like 2000 maybe yeah 2000 i started working at rick's and you know mark jarenko was spraying some stuff with the rubber cement i'm like holy shit this is amazing and i was just like all because of that fucking tom savini book screwed me up
2: Rubber cement paint, even though I don't use it anymore because of its toxicity. I know, but
0: it's so good.
2: uh, Rubber cement paint looks the best. Yeah, it's great. There's nothing that comes close. But, you know, it's funny. That fucked me up exactly the same way. (laughs) And I remember clearly that it said you mix rubber cement with acrylic (laughs) coloring. Right. That that must have been it. And. And, oh, it's it's what it was, because <laughs> I tried and tried and tried and tried to get them to mix. If only, if only he had said oil instead of <laughs> acrylic, everything would have been different.
0: Right. <laughs>
2: it was so frustrating. Yep. And, uh, you know, but, but I did learn when I was about 17 the right formula that you can use uh, tinsel or you can use universal coloring. Right. Uh, you know paint tinters um, which will tint alkyds it'll tint any kind of paint mm-hmm. or oil paint you can use right. oil paint right um and and make a really beautiful airbrushable paint but um yeah that that book opened my eyes to a lot it, it taught me the five minute epoxy trick
0: yeah right that I had
2: seen on mask all those years ago with the wet eyes mm-hmm. I
0: thought
2: ah, that's what they use. Yeah. And I tried it on a mask and I was like, "Oh my god." Yeah. <laughs> this is the stuff. This is the stuff. And now we I've probably gone through 25 gallons in my career of 5 minute epoxy. Oh yeah. epoxying, and I found out some cool techniques while I was at Ricks for getting all the air bubbles out and making like this really smooth. Like I have a one mask that has these great big insect eyes. Mm-hmm. Huge insect eyes. And I mix up a grip of epoxy, I mean a lot of it, and I pour it on the eye and I brush it on as all around the eye, and then I take a little torch and quickly move it around and it pops all the air bubbles and oh, it turns wow. it a lot more fluid, That's and cool. then you hold the mask upside down so that the or, or eye face down so that all the excess pours off, and then you just keep tilting it and... I, it comes out with this glassy, huge eye that looks fantastic. Oh, that's amazing. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if your listeners are going to find any of the crap I'm talking about, <laughs> you know, It's,
0: int- it's interesting it's just, to me. It's just
2: rubber mask nonsense. Who cares?
0: It's so much fun, though. I mean, it, I I love making masks. I, I, I've i said this to maybe one or two other guests I've had in the podcast. I don't remember who it was, but um, every once in a while, I'll come across someone that's like, If I wasn't doing oil paintings and the stuff I'm doing, I would be what I would be wanting to do what you're doing because because masks are just so much fun. I love the process. I love the mold making process. I love casting them in latex. I love latex. A nice thick latex mask is so cool. And it looks so good when you pull it out and you clean it and painting it. It's just beautiful. I just love it.
2: Well, Chet, you know, honestly, I would die. To see a kick-ass rubber mask from you now. Yeah. With all that you've learned, with how fucking talented you are at sculpture and design and coloring and everything,
0: do it. Just make one. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. I should. Thank you. I should. You really should. should.
2: It's not it's not an expensive.
0: I know. That's the other thing. You know
2: what? Honestly, Mm -hmm. I will extend this offer to you, sir. Mm -hmm. You sculpt it and mold it. You bring it here and we'll cast it with my rubber.
0: Okay, cool. Do it. All right. Thank you. That's awesome. I appreciate that. Yeah, I've been, I've been, yeah, I've, I've been wanting to, you know, we, uh, <clears throat> me and Lauren Githens ran Tony Gardner's mass company in the nineties. And that was kind of funny. <laughs> there was a bunch of, you know, we got the sizes all wrong. Like the first, round we did were huge cuz we didn't know how much it would shrink and there was a few good designs here and there but um it, it, it ended up i
2: thought that they were really really good
0: oh thanks there were there were some that were cool some that weren't so cool it was just like a learning experience but um but but going through and building all these air dryers out of wood and you know to to with holes in the tops to put the molds on and buying latex in bulk and pouring them up and painting them you know making the racks it was so much fun and just as the company started making turning a profit they pulled the plug on the whole thing so it was really kind of a bummer it was like a Oh really? Yeah, it was like a two or two or three year period but I had so much fun doing that man I loved it loved it So
2: Well uh tell me more about your masks the masks you you made
0: Uh let's see ah oh, god I did the dark man. I did one of the dark man masks. That was, let me see. I did a really cool one that I still stand by today, which was, uh, is, was it like a zombie mask? It was very like EC zombie type mask. Um uh, really. Hemlock. Good. No, yeah, not hemlock, but hemlock was, I did do hemlock and I did stitches too. Those were pretty cool. <laughs> now that I think back stitches was kind of a ripoff of, uh, Mitch Devane's Texas chainsaw mask that had the different pieces sewn sewn on you know the faces sewn together but yeah hemlock
1: yeah yeah
0: yeah there was a lot there was one though that you know because after all this we were making these cool designs and the ones that sold the most were the ones that had blood all over them so of course so we did one just as a joke called meathead where it was okay we're going to throw a bunch of clay on it and pour blood and you know cast it Pour blood all over it. No form, nothing. Just a bunch of clay. We poured blood all over it and called it head and it was a huge seller. And we sculpted it with our feet, just to make a point. No, you did. <laughs> yes, we did. It was sculpted with serious? our feet. Yeah, because because it was just shit, you know. And it was a huge seller just because it was a It was basically this meaty head with blood all over it. It was kind of hilarious.
1: Oh, you still there? Hello. I
0: can't. I can't. You're kind of breaking up. Hello. Oh.
2: Yeah. Did I lose you for a
0: second? Yeah. Yeah. There you go. I can hear you now.
2: Did
1: I
0: lose you for a second? Yeah. Are you there? Yeah. I can. I. I I can kind of hear you now. I lost you. Yeah. There. You're good now. Can you hear me?
2: All right, I was trying. I was trying to step outside for a cigarette.
0: <laughs> you don't smoke in your shop. That's a good, good man.
1: No, I'm gonna try this again.
0: Okay, I got you. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Yeah. All right, I got you now. We'll see if it lasts. It says poor connection. Okay, now I can.
1: Ah. Okay. I'm kind
0: of going. there we go
2: so okay i want to hear more about your mask making <laughs> uh
0: it was oh it just it was it was super fun and um you know but it was kind of a bummer because it was always the the bloody gory ones that sold the most and the really coolest ones like that not the hemlock but this other zombie i forgot what it was called um you know the really I cool ones.
1: Great.
0: Oh, thanks. the re- The coolest ones didn't sell as much as the like the Shotgun Louie that Lauren did with a. Do you remember Shotgun Louis with a blood a guy shooting himself in the head and blood coming out one side? It was pretty silly. Yeah, that was like the biggest seller. <laughs> that was actually well, where you know that that on. that company uh, is where Lauren made the Ghost Maker kit, which the Scream movie stole. You know that with a what? You know that movie, the Scream movies, with that killer and that mask, that ghost mask.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: That was a rip off of Lauren's mask yeah. he did for Alterian. It was. Oh my like, god! Yeah, some other company ripped it off after we took it to a trade show, and then the next thing we know, it was in the movie Scream, and you know, some huge thing. Surprise! Surprise! Yeah, typical crooks in the business you don't say yeah yeah what a mess well but,
2: i uh i remember i remember, what was it, the ghost factory was that yeah what it was there was the
0: ghost fact yeah the ghost factory then it was the alterian ghost factory for some reason and uh yeah i think we did it for like three years <clears throat> so much fun though
2: well now who did you have mass producing them
0: uh, we were making them. We were hiring kids, you know, like uh, high school kids during the summer, teaching them how to paint masks. and you know, because we were trying to mass produce them ourselves. What was
2: the technique that you used? did you did you use did you use um latex paint?
0: Yeah, balloon rubber, like the really thin latex uh, with tints,
2: yeah, you mix that with uh, house paint or something?
0: Yeah, it was just no, it was with tint. It was did like you blo- mix
2: it with house paint.
0: B- balloon rubber and universal tint. Really? Yeah, it How did you great. get
2: opaque colors? I guess white, white tint.
0: I don't yeah, it worked fine. It worked fine. And then for blood, you you know you have that uh that that acrylic, that liquid acrylic stuff. Uh, I forgot what it was called. Yep. And that works great and it looks looks wet and everything. But I uh, I, I want to know, I want to know how you got in the movie business. How did oh, you transition God. from that? What was your first film? How did you get in the business? What year was this?
2: Well, I, um, I was making masks. I was making them professionally.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I had my own mask company.
0: Oh, what was it uh, called? It was
2: called Weirdum. It was called Weirdom,
0: Weirdom. <laughs> Which is,
2: which is actually a, a name that a, a friend in junior high had come up with who was a brilliant artist. He's, he still is. His name is Kenny Marania. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he could draw monsters better than I can now at 12. I mean, it was ridiculous. Wow. But, um, anyway, I was, I was making these masks and, uh, um, I went to that trade show that I was telling you about. Mm-hmm. i met don post at Edmonds, uh the zagonis who ran b something studio and uh i mean i i really 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 hate to toot my own horn but my mask got a lot of attention there no doubt they got attention from everybody and Even though I was just some green kid from Philly, I got a huge number of orders. I couldn't even fill them all. Wow, that's awesome. Well, I mean, mine were all painted with rubber cement paint. Like they were like really nice pieces. Right. And um, my career basically got kickstarted because of going to that show in Chicago in 1986 or Hmm. seven. Actually, no, I think it was, no, it was 88. I was 20.
1: Okay. At the time.
2: And, um, <clears throat> Ed Edmonds came over my hero from distortions unlimited. He said, I want you to work for me. We got to talk, you know, um, this guy came by named Daniel Faye, this sort of slick looking guy, um, who worked for a company called screaming products that had put out some Freddy Krueger vinyl kit. Mm-hmm. And he wanted me to do something for him, and I was talking to all these people. Frank Frazetta's son was there because he runs some big uh, yeah Halloween store, and I've heard about that. He it's uh, in my work. He bought some of my stuff, and you know, so I was I was like kind of dizzy after that show. Well, Ed actually flew out to Philadelphia from Colorado to try to sweet talk me into moving to Colorado and working for him. Wow. And I remember we were sitting at lunch, my dad, me, and and Ed, and it was like, Jerry, what do you want? What is it you want? And I think he was kind of concerned that I was going to start this big mass company and overthrow him (laughs) and stuff. Well, I mean, I didn't want to do that. I wanted to do Hollywood crap. Um, but, uh, I remember my dad saying, well, you obviously think my son is really talented. Why don't, you know, uh, what, what, what do you prepare to offer my son to keep us from just going off and starting our own huge company? And I was like kicking my dad under the <laughs> table. Like, dad, this is, what the fuck are you doing? But you know, when I look back, I, I love my pop. Cause he was trying, he was looking out for me. Yeah. That's great. Trying to really get me a, a yeah, good deal. That's smart. And um, you know, but Ed, Ed, I, I named a price, and Ed said, "Okay, you wow. got it." And I was like, "Oh my god, I can't! That kind of money! Oh my god!" You know, must have been which so was exciting. really nothing. Yeah, right. to us Now, but <laughs> back in '88, you know, it wasn't bad for a 20-year-old kid. So, yeah. um, so I told Ed that I would start work for him after I had finished my mask orders. I'd come to work for him in November, after right after Halloween. So in that time, I was making masks with my girlfriend at the time. She was helping me out painting and all this stuff in my basement. And um, I also, during that summer, um, sculpted a kit for Screamin' products, which was this awful, awful werewolf. It was just terrible, but I had never worked with Sculpey before. It was oh, a yeah. nightmare. Thing kept falling over. I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. Yeah. Well, finally I got it to a point where they approved it. I baked the thing, um, and I sent it off to them, and they liked it and they molded it and blah blah blah. blah. Well, I go to Colorado uh, in the fall. And I worked hard for Ed. I did a lot of cool stuff. And, uh, in March I got really homesick, you know, it had been six months practically and or five months. And I was like, I really want to go back home. And Ed was kind of pissed off at me. Like I could tell he was kind of disgruntled that I was, you know, leaving, but you know, what could he do? Right. So could've, I, I went back paid to you Philadelphia. More <laughs> yeah. But, uh, I went back to Philadelphia and uh, by now it was, you know, early spring and I get a call from Daniel Fay, the guy who had me do the werewolf kit. He said, Hey, your werewolf kit is debuting uh, at this show up here in Albany, New York.
1: Mm.
2: He said, you want to come and and, and, you know, be here for that. I said, okay. So i took a train up to Albany and uh there was the kit you know looked like horror I hated it but I took some of my masks along and Tom Savini saw one of them and he was like "Whoa, I've, I've got to have that I've, I've just got to have that wow and I said let me get back to Philadelphia and I'll, I'll make you an even better one than this one said, no let me tell it to me now Sell will do me now <laughs> I was like no I'll make you one when I get back home and he was like, whatever, you know. Uh, and I remember Daniel Fay saying to me, like, uh, you know, when Tom Savini asked to buy a mask, you should sell it to him. And I was like, <laughs> fuck off. Um, but uh, I was true to my word. I, you know, when I got back, I made him a mask and I sent it to him. But um, while I was there, I met a guy who was getting ready to move out to LA from Massachusetts, where he was from, and he was going to work for a guy named Screaming Mad George, uh, who I had heard of in the pages of Fangoria. Yep. And um, he, uh, this guy was really impressed with my mask, and he said, I also met a guy named Bruce Spalding Fuller there who was a super talent. Oh, yeah. I loved his stuff. And he told me about SC89 and all these yeah. <laughs> materials that we know about. SC89. He, he was an amazing mask maker. And he had this kick ass thing there called Slackjaw, uh-huh. which was like this zombie with the jaw having fallen onto its chest and all this stringy meat. And
1: yeah. it was just
2: incredibly professional, way beyond my work. Wow. And uh, I I thought he was incredible. Well, Well, uh, this guy, his name is Dave Grasso. He took photos of my masks. I know Dave. Yeah, and and he showed them to Screaming Mad George. And in May, I got a call from George. Mm. And he's a Japanese punk rock effects weirdo. Mm -hmm. And he said, "Uh, this is Screaming Mad George, cutting. I wanted to talk to you about coming out to stop Massa, a movie. <laughs> and I was like, oh my fucking guy saved that message and I was like, Holy shit. And I called him back and I said, What what's the movie? And he said, It's a Blight of Reanimator. It's sequel to Reanimator. And I would seen the reanimator and I was like, Oh my God, it's a real movie. <laughs> you know? Well in May I flew out. He flew me out almost immediately. And, uh, you know, I had to have a big crybaby goodbye with my girlfriend at the time. And it was hard leaving home and yeah, boo-hoo. Mm-hmm. But, <laughs> fuck, this is my dream. I wasn't going to stop. So yeah. I went out there and I sculpted on that movie. And that's how I started. Wow. You know? And I, you know, this this uh, buddy of mine named Sean Smith uh, who had, who was pretty new out there himself, but he he had been out there already a year. He worked on Tremors and a couple other things, I think. And he really uh, showed me around. He took me over to Greg Canem's, and I met uh, a guy who gave me a little job from there. And you know, I I started working around. I got a job at Stan Winston's, and mm-hmm. uh, then I worked for. Um, uh, some, you know, some other smaller shops I worked for, Ed French.
0: Oh, wow, Ed French.
2: And and I worked, uh, the, to your listeners, I mean, these are all makeup effects guys that check, right. you know, but you, you might not know. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but to us, they're like big names because we yeah. grew up looking at them. Oh, yeah. And uh, Steve Laporte, I worked for him. We really hit it off. He hired me to do a lot of fun stuff. And that was great. uh. You know, eventually I, I I worked at Rick Baker's on Men in Black, and and uh, I worked at canem's. and you know I I worked I worked around quite a bit, and then in 1999, I I think I was just sick and tired of not um, having any say over right. the work.
0: That's so I I I I I hate to interrupt you, but it's it's really weird because we started around the same time and we yeah. and we quit around the same time. Yeah. <laughs> and we're both around the same age. It's really weird cuz I got in on the Blob in like 87 or so. It was like 87 wow. 88. The Blob so. was
2: cool though.
0: Yeah, that was great, but it was like it was like you were talking about how in the in the mid 80s it was like effects guys were the heroes. It was That was the peak and it just slowly went downhill from there, you know, because it was like there was money, there was time. It was like Bill Sturgeon, Sean McEnroe, Mike Smithson, Brian Wade, Mark Satrakian doing mechanics. It was just like all the superstars at the shop. And I was just this little like "Eh," this little green kid, you know, learning from all these people. And it was like, oh, this is amazing. It was like we had dress up days at the shop, you know, dress like a vampire day. It was super dorky and fun. And and it just every job after that was like a slow downhill until, until Jurassic Park came out. And then it was like, whoa, and then it was like a slide. And yeah it, was, yeah, it was 2000. I made the decision where I was like, OK, I'm going to work my way out of this situation. I can't do it anymore. Exactly. So anyway, well, you know, I I
2: envy you having worked with Sean McEnroe. He's a really good yeah. friend of mine.
0: He's amazing. But uh, he taught me how to mix flesh tones.
2: Yeah, Sh- Sean Sean is like one of my heroes, and, and um, hilarious too. Super uh, he's funny hilarious. Guy. He's cool. Yep. He's talented. Really he's great yeah, he's the whole package. Yep. I even went up to Seattle to see him. Um, but uh, anyway, yeah, I mean, I I I got into it. You know, I mean, my first taste of the real big time was working on Predator 2 and Edward Scissorhands mm. at Stan Winston's. Right. And, uh, you know, the Predator, they had done Predator. And I was, you know, they had this display kind of little stage with all these creatures. The Predator and the Gill Man from Monster Squad and the Terminator. And I, um, I would just stare at that Predator. Mm-hmm. all the time i was a huge steve wang fan yeah steve's amazing and 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 steve wang and matt rose i just yeah. absolutely worship yeah i was just staring at that thing and one guy was watching me he was like it's predator drew get the fuck over it <laughs> like well fuck off you know leave me the fuck alone dickhead. you know um but uh Anyway, um, you, you know, it, 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 so I realized, you know, I'm never really going to get the chance to design something that gets through unless I start my own thing and right. I'll do classes to uh, kind of support the studio. And so that's what I did. And um,
0: so you did this in 99? You started yeah. your own place? Yeah. Because I, I made the decision in 2000, and then it took me. Like seven years to get out before I was able to oh. like leave. So I was I was working in, at night and weekends every day after work for seven years <laughs> doing double duty because I couldn't afford to leave at that point. So you 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 were ahead of me there for sure.
2: Well, yes and no, Chet. I mean, I'm still suckling off the Hollywood teat because <laughs> I still do designs for TV shows and, and movies and stuff. That's th- that's the
0: best you can. Could- you can hope for, though, in the business, I think. Is but the, you know is-
2: what? I mean, yes and no, because designs still get rejected. They still say we want you, and then they don't,
0: like right. Cronenberg
2: said. You know, it, it's, so I go through every bit of frustration. Plus, I have a studio to run. I have employees. I've got to make sure that I have enough money to pay these guys every month, every week. Right. Um, got to pay the rent every month. You know, So it, it, it's its own set of headaches, which right. are totally different than just – Working in a shop. I know. I know. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I'm much happier yeah. than I would
0: be. It's still better. I, I say it like this: if you can see me, can you see me on the screen? I, I expected doing my own thing, it would be this much better in effect than this. And it turns out it's like this much better. It's still exactly. better, but it's not like, in, you know, I'm not like loaded or making all kinds of money. It's still, it's got, it's a new set of problems, just like you said, you know, mostly financial. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I, I, I wonder at these guys that run these effects studios that, that are making millions. I mean, I know guys that have, are millionaires that, that run effect shops. And it's,
0: oh, can you imagine running a shop though, doing for movies? It seems like it would be such a nightmare.
2: Yeah. Except for that million dollar fucking <laughs> check. I, I don't know. I know. But this it's like, like, I mean, I don't want to do it. It's I don't want to do it. But at the same time, I look at it and go, God,
0: I know. damn, I I'm know. Making money, <laughs>
2: I'm Really making fucking money.
0: Right. Well, it's, it's, but it's a matter of, you know, if you wanted to make a shitload of money, you could do it. I could do it. We could like com- completely buy in it. And, and, you know, you could be like, I'm taking on every, you could, do like aaron sims you know i'm taking on all these jobs and getting a crew of designers overseeing them and you know totally do that thing but you know you're part of part of the um trade-off part of, yeah part of the trade-off is you know we're we're, make, we're doing what we want to we're making our own stuff it's the only way you can do it really you know
2: well yeah i mean i am far more interested i guess the only reason i'd want to make a whole lot of money is so that i could have total freedom and right. then finally Fuck off! <laughs> I'm not doing anything for movies anymore. Right. But there's just the the work that I do is very um you know idiosyncratic. I mean, how many people really collect original masks and maquettes?
0: You right. know,
2: not many. Yeah. You know, and and every now and then I get I get jobs that are like you know uh, art jobs that I that are fun that are cool. You know for collectors and stuff like that. But what one of them, my puppy's losing her mind. Um, (laughs) but, uh, one of the things that, that is fulfilling and does sell well are the silicone replica heads. I do.
0: Yeah. Those are amazing
2: movie characters. Now you would think that that would be anathema to me just because, uh, it's movie characters, you know, but I get a real thrill out of doing likenesses, mm-hmm. and um, some of them that I've done are, are better than others, you know. But it's always a challenge to yep. sit down and, and try to capture someone's likeness, and then cast it in silicone and get the hair right.
0: Yeah, I think it's the hardest thing to do, personally,
2: by far, by far. But yeah. it's way more challenging than than monster stuff. But it's fulfilling in a way right is you know yeah um but you know, it's it's uh i damn I able to sell quite a few of those that's good um you know I, I i did this sculpture of grand moff tarkin i must have sold six of them wow you know, for a lot of money amazing so that's good
0: that's killer man
2: but um but but you know, when it comes to the monster stuff, I'm lucky if I sell five of a design. That's you know, way way less than the Off Tarkin head or, or the
0: and way cool. and, and, and and way Moff's. cooler too. I'm sure. You know your but, own design, but you know,
2: yeah, but but though you know the, the the most expensive mask I've ever sold was probably about seven grand. Wow. It was a really, really, really elaborate alien with hair punching and jewelry and awesome. an elaborate paint scheme and you know this mane of hair and you know all this stuff. So you know, but but uh I, I'm trying to create stuff that's still just as cool, but it's just a little more affordable because right. you know but yeah. Wow.
1: That's my life.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so how often are you doing uh film design stuff is it like half the time is it you know how, um how?
2: Nope. well it's it's actually been quite quite a lot lately this this year and last year were there's a lot of stuff and it seems as if uh um i'm working on something on an ongoing basis for a couple shows oh cool um so doing design and stuff so that's cool, you know. I mean, people ask me all the time, "Well, what's your main bread and butter? How, how where do you make them? and I I honestly have trouble answering." Yeah, right. I can't quite figure out where the bulk of my income comes from. <laughs> um, you know, is it commissions, is it movie stuff, you know? If I get hired on something for a long-term thing where I'm I'm making fairly steady dough, um you know, for design work, you know that that's 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 probably where a great deal of money comes from. Sometimes I'll do a little makeup gig here and there, a ah, little small little thing that's cool. Um, where it's just like one makeup and that's it. But you know I, it's it's always a a challenge to to uh, stay creatively focused and involved and interested and still um, work for other people, you
0: know? Right, yeah. I think you're kind uh, of... So
2: like I said, I'm I'm not quite as out of it as you. Right. You are making money solidly on your fine art, and that is a position that any artist would envy. Any artist. Even if you're not making massive amounts of money, I mean, you put out a great book. I bought that book. You put out the book. You've got galleries that show your work regularly. Your your presence is 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 very well known in the in the dark art community. So you know, I mean, you're batting a thousand to me. I I wish that uh, I could I could draw or paint better so I could sell prints. You well, know, like, I draw, but not like some of these motherfuckers. I mean, you're really <laughs> good at it. And, you know, I know so many illustrators that just are so mind bogglingly good.
0: Right. I, I, Yeah, I I think it's a grass is is always greener thing because I'm definitely envious of the situation you're in having a shop, you know, and having, you know, doing what you're doing is cool. I kind of in some ways I wish that I still had a hand in in effects and I get offers once in a while, but it's like just to make ends meet. I'm just fucking hustling seven days a week on my own shit trying to, you know, because I have to fulfill print orders and stuff like that. But on the other hand, the good thing about it is I'm doing my own stuff and it's like I kind of succeed or fail on my own. You know, it's all on me, which is good and bad. But um, it is, I do feel like everything I do is contributing to my future. And that's one thing when I was working in the film business, once I hit a certain level, like once I got to be a sculptor at Rick's, I was like, I can't really go any higher. You know, right? And so, you know, you know how it is when you're the first ten years or whatever when you're in the business, you're like, um, or however many years, you're like, okay, this is a great, this job is good, it's it, it pays well, and it's it's a portfolio piece, so I can get another job and another job, and it's like you keep kind of building your portfolio, and then you hit a point, and it's like, okay, everybody knows I'm good, and that, and they'll hire me. I don't really need the portfolio anymore, so every job just becomes like less meaningful. Like there's less of a reason to do it other than money. And then it's kind of fun, you know, but at least now that's the one good thing is I feel like every time I do a painting, that is, uh, that's, that's something that I could sell uh, as a print or, you know, my kids after I'm dead could probably keep selling my prints and stuff. So it's like, you know, it's, that feels good about it, but it doesn't it. It comes with a, a price for sure. You know,
2: well, yeah, I mean, the hustling thing, I, I understand that. You know, I I, I feel like I'm I, I'm such a see one of the one of the things, though. About being an artist and, and you seem to have mastered it, but I certainly haven't is most artists are terrible business people. They're yeah, terrible. People. Yeah. And I fit into that squarely. Well, so <laughs> I don't know how to promote myself. I really don't. I hate being a braggart. I see so much of that going on. We discussed that earlier, uh, right. not in this podcast, but <laughs> you know, there there's a lot of there's a lot of braggardly stuff and and people boasting and 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 touting their accomplishments like there's a the second coming. <laughs> and you know, I I can't do that. Like I just don't it it rubs me the wrong way when I see it.
0: Yeah. I don't
2: like doing it myself.
0: It's you hard. Know? It's hard. It's hard for sure. I you know, I had for me, it was like I was just like every other artist, not business minded at all, not liking to toot my own horn, but I was like if I'm going to do this, I have to learn this shit. Just that's all there is to it. That's the only way I can I can survive is to learn how to market myself. So, you know, I I got an art uh, art marketing 101 book. I took a, a online course on art marketing and and kind of learned just the basics of it. And and then with, with social media I just started utilizing that and sort of got into a rhythm. So now I kind of know basically how to do it without, you know, looking like a total asshole. Yeah. You know, that's the hard part.
2: <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, then that, that, I think that's my hardest uh, struggle is just promoting oneself without looking like you're some pompous ass, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, You know, it's it just, it just really, I, I hate that in others, and I certainly wouldn't like it in myself. Right, and I right. don't I? Th- to be honest, <clears throat> I feel it, it always feels great when people say, "Wow, Jordan, you're really good at this stuff." But there, I, I have um, the, the, the there are two things going on inside me. Number one, I have uh, imposter
0: Imp- syndrome, yeah, right,
2: where I re- I think like people have no idea how much I suck. Like, you know, <laughs> I'm able to kind of fake it and make that's it. Look so
0: that's so great for you to say that. It's so good for the people listening to this podcast to hear because I have that also. We all have that, I think.
2: Well, you know, I, I was driving to comic con many years ago with a friend of mine named toy Oganyoku. He's a Nigerian artist. Um, and he, Works steadily now for for legacy effects, so he's employed. Hmm. He's a lifer over there. But he is one of the most astonishing artists I've ever met. Wow. He is just incredible. He does things out of Sculpey that look like they were machined and printed out. Like he did this sculpture of an astronaut, like a futuristic astronaut. He's, I mean, I, I can't even... The detail, the 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 accuracy, the symmetry, the cleanliness. He does and he makes everything. He doesn't kick bash or anything like that. He, wow. he makes these tiny little bits out of styrene and tubing and wow. I, it's just I, I can't even describe how talented he is. Huh. we were on our way to Comic-Con and I said, yeah, I mean, I, I I don't know, man. Sometimes I really feel like I'm just a fraud, you know? <laughs> and he looked at me in shock and he went, You feel that way too? <laughs> and I said, Yeah. I said, You feel that way, Toy? And he's like, Absolutely. <laughs> and we had a nice little bonding moment there. But so first of all, that that is going on inside me. I feel like I'm not the big shit some people have made me out to be. Right. And second of all, um, I kind of feel like what I do is sort of dumb and silly. Like it's just <laughs> rubber monster masks and crap. Yeah, yeah,
0: I, I, I have that, you know, I can feel that way about my own work as well. You know, I could be painting naked ladies or bowls of fruit or whatever, but I'm painting monsters. And, and what I try and do with my artwork is to elevate the subject matter. To, to the level that I think it deserves because I right. I think it's important and you're definitely doing that with I mean with your masks absolutely positively I mean everybody knows that you've elevated the craft to a, to a to a new level you know
2: well I think what I'm getting at though is
0: you still so don't what? feel that? Yet.
2: <laughs> because like, oh, wow. Did you know George Uchelle elevated the art of rubber mask making? What? Uh, yeah, I just helped land a fucking rover on Mars. Yeah. You know, he elevated the art of ma- oh, listen, he? Wow, listen. I'll alert the fucking press. You know, it's like there are people out there doing things that are so astonishing that and, – and, and when I think about it, like how sad is it? To me, that my work is going to be landfill nothing, you know, and I'm never going to be Michelangelo or something. No one's going to put me in a book of historic art. Listen, you know, I'm I'm in a, some a, some reject effects douchebag who, <laughs> who managed managed to make some cool rubber heads which aren't even archival material. So it's like I I, I feel like. It's just it's just so stupid, and I I, I try to bolster myself by going well, and I'm, I'm respected by my contemporaries. <laughs> but ultimately, I just and I mean this gets down to some real existentialist right. shit. But I feel like I'm doing it to stay happy and sane,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and I'm glad it sells. But ultimately. It's just, it's, it's what you do to bide your time until it's over. Because I, I just, when you think, when you think about human achievement, rubber masks are really low on the totem pole, bro.
0: Yeah. Well, listen, listen, you gotta listen. You gotta hear me out. You need to listen to the podcast that's going, getting posted, uh, Wednesday. I'll send you a link to it. It's with Carrie Ann Botta, who's an art professor in, uh, in Florida at a university. I forget which university, but she's also an artist that I've shown with. She's really good. And we had a long talk about art and why it's important. And it's, it's kind of, you know, what it's kind of not for you to judge in a way because there, there is a whole thousands and hundreds of thousands and maybe millions of people that your work is really important to them. And it doesn't matter if you're, respected by university professors or the art academia or whatever it's it's and that's another cool thing about the art that you're doing and that i'm doing too is that it is art for regular people and regular people need art you know regular people need it just as much you know maybe more than the people that can afford it like the really rich people that can afford blue chip shit so You know, don't underestimate how important your your work is to, to people because you're, you know, you're absolutely inspiring me. You've definitely like had a big influence on me and inspired me to do what I'm doing, for sure. And I know a lot of other people who feel the same way about you. So I think it's you know, it's it's more in your head than it's in reality, I think. Because
2: well, I mean, that's, that's awesome to hear. It's, it's really nice. You know, I, of course I admire your work and stuff too. I, I guess I just, I mean, this, this gets into a little more of worldview shit right. than it art, but I mean, ultimately, oh God, I, should, I don't even know if I should get into this. But <laughs> Why not? Ultimately nothing fucking matters. Well, you know, yeah. From, from my world. It's, 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 it's all going to be dust someday. Right. You know, I mean, I don't mean to sound like a Kansas song, but it's just like, <laughs> it's just, it's just, it's not. It's so, so we're, we're doing it to, to please other humans, you know, and, and that's ourselves and ourselves, you know, and that is the highest thing that we can do because <clears throat> the universe isn't different. It doesn't care if we make shit or die or, you know, what the fuck or land on the moon or anything. Mm. But I, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess to some extent, you know, uh, to some extent, I guess I, 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 I wish that I did believe sometimes in a, in a higher purpose, you know, Mm -hmm. I just don't. And, um, you know, I'm kind of agnostic with a strong leaning towards atheism. And I, I just don't, believe it really. And, and I, I guess that I, um, sometimes I wish, you know, yeah, that, that I could believe that the people I touch and the things I do, I mean, I mean, I guess that is the higher calling in any way, if anything, that, Mm -hmm. that, that is the higher power there is that I'm hopefully making people happy. Mm -hmm. And if people are happier because of the fact that I walked the earth, then that is a good thing. I'm, I'm not, you know, Ed Gein or somebody who make people infinitely more miserable than they ever would have been if he had not ever been born.
0: And how many people can so, say that? Really? How many people can say they're making thousands and thousands of people
2: happy? with Millions, Chet. You said millions. 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 <laughs> Billions, I would like to think. I think actually now, you know, now that you've talked me into it, I am the most important person that ever lived what i mean that did you ever notice that jesus begins with a j
0: <laughs> jordoo jesus That's two syllables Come
2: on man <laughs> let's all look at it realist anyway
0: how you have um, you you've never had like a weird because I, I i have like a, a belief in this other reality stuff i mean i i have you know you could call it a belief in god if if you put it in those terms but because uh, I've had all kinds of weird shit happen to me. You haven't had any weird like supernatural experiences or anything ever happened to you?
2: Well, you know what's funny? You should admit, I was just talking about this with somebody else. Um, I can't say that I've had a supernatural experience. I've never seen a ghost. Mm-hmm. I've never seen a UFO. I haven't been abducted. And, you know, I've never had an out of body experience or, you know, read a dog's mind or anything. But
1: something happens quite consistently that
2: is explainable only by the belief that there is energy between people that. Cannot be quantified, measured, or understood yet. Yep. I will have a dream.
0: Oh, precognitive dreams.
2: I will have a dream about someone I haven't talked to in a long time, they call the next day.
1: Right. Now,
2: a time, a single time, coincidence. A second time, Wow. Coincidence. Very, very, very often, not a coincidence. OK, it happens with such specificity that when I dream about someone I haven't talked to in a while, I expect to hear from them the next day. Wow. Um, and sometimes it will happen now this person I was talking to earlier about this earlier in the week said, well, but how many times has it happened where they don't call, you know? Mm -hmm. And I said, well, you know, I'm sure a fair number of times, but it happens enough that it is beyond coincidence. It is beyond coincidence. I haven't talked to my friend, Alexis Brandow in years. I dreamt about her. She called me the next day and I was like, I can't believe it. I was just, I dreamt about you last night. Like we were at some fair or blah, 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 you know? And, uh, so, so I don't know that to me, there is energy between people that can't be explained. I mean,
1: mm-hmm.
2: uh, this is another thing I mentioned. Have you ever met someone that you right away knew was okay? Absolutely. You trust it's totally. a decent person. Absolutely and i mentioned this to my friend uh, david and he said well but maybe you're picking up on micro things in their body language their voice uh, you know their 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 the way their body moves all who knows you know i said well that that's possible hmm. but i think it goes beyond that yep. I, of course the converse is true i've met people right away i was like they're bad news get yep. the fuck away from usually I find that shit out too late. Right. Hello. <laughs> I become best friends with them. Hello. And then like three years later, they stab me in the back. And I'm going, why are you doing that, mate? Oh, it my really God. Hurts.
0: Tell me about and it. And they're
2: like, no, 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 it doesn't hurt. It's not. No, it hurts me worse than you, mate. No, don't worry. No, it's all right. I just still your wife (laughs) and moved in and I'm banging her every night. Really nice shag, by the way, don't cry about it. It's no big deal. You know what I mean? So it's like,
0: it's happened enough.
2: Sometimes they're not. Yeah.
0: And it's happened enough to where you go, this is more than just coincidence. Yeah. Yeah. I I think so. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've had, I've had out of body experiences since I was 12. So that to me is like, you know, a whole, uh, you don't have to, prove anything to me about that um and i've had but chet but huh?
2: chet you're crazy I'm just kidding.
0: <laughs> there is Go also on. a fine line between crazy and spiritually connected but i've had uh pre dreams before like yeah. totally unmistakable i've had things where i was reading a weird sentence in a magazine in an airport and there was a tv show on and i read a sentence that the person said on the tv and it's like, that what is impossible?" Wait
2: wait, wait, wait wait wait. It was something what?
0: like some something like, and the and the cat ran along the room or something, or the cat ran across the room, something just a uh, uh, totally meaningless. And the person was like interviewing someone on TV while I was reading it. It sounds like I'm crazy, but I swear to God it happened. And it was like, right? And it's like not only it wasn't like a second later I read this or a second before, it was as I was reading it the person said the same thing on the TV and I was like, Holy fucking shit. And it's like, I've, I've had stuff like that happen over and over like synchronicities that are just, it's to a point where it's like, okay, everything is connected energetically. There's way more than we know about going on for sure. That's true. true. And so, um, I mean, I just,
2: there's no doubt. There's no doubt that there are things. Well, I mean, at its most base and obvious level, that anyone would agree with, even the most staunch "I don't believe in magic" person. Right. There are things humans don't understand yet.
0: Yeah, yeah. doy.
2: We can we all do, agree. Yeah, we, we can all agree on probably. Yeah, things things that we may never understand. We will never probably know for will well. We will never know for sure how it all happened. How we all got here. Big bang, God, you know, meteors, dinosaurs, who who knows? We, we really can never prove it. Right. We can come up with theories. We can never prove it. So that's just, for an example, that's just one thing that we'll never know. Right. Okay. I don't think they've really figured out why things live at all. Right. We know that it's electrical impulses. We know that uh it, it animates protein for a finite amount of time you know but we haven't really figured out why why does this energy animate this this sack of bones you know mm-hmm. so the, so there's there's and 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 we haven't really we haven't really figured out how the human brain works so incredibly quickly either right there's plenty about the human brain we just don't understand and there's still uncharted areas of this planet. Yeah. For all the billions of people that have existed and fallen and new generations exist and fall and exist and fall and, on and so on and so on um we still have not charted this entire planet. You know, right. we haven't plumbed the depths of the ocean completely. Yeah. Uh there're still little uncharted islands. I yeah. mean, did you see Castaway? That was a documentary. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but um you know what I mean? So, yeah, so it's and not like, to mention
0: space and the universe and it's like,
2: well, I mean, yeah, that's, that's I mean, completely outside of our, uh, beginning to, you know, we're only beginning to understand just how fast it is,
0: mm-hmm.
2: how horrifyingly mind bogglingly immense.
0: Yeah. It really is.
2: Yeah, right. Um, and it is truly not in the, not in the California dude way. It is <laughs> awesome. <laughs> it is awesome.
0: Right. Yep.
2: um, But anyway, so, so we can all agree that there are things we'll never understand, things that we don't understand, things that we don't get yet. Um, and I don't see why some of this stuff couldn't be part of that.
0: Right. Well, that, you know, that is, that is the, um, I, so far I've brought this up on probably the last five episodes, but this is the, 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 the principle of. Magic, like occult magic that I've been studying now for, you know, I don't know. I mean, I've been kind of doing it all my life through different means, kind of meditation and Eastern philosophy and all that. But lately I've been um, studying like chaos magic and ceremonial magic. And the underlying basic <clears throat> principle and all that stuff is that, um, you know, everything is, tol- every- everything is one thing. Everything is God. Every person is God. Every, everything is made out of this fractal energy being or something. And we are, you know, it's going to sound corny. We are God expressing itself in order to experience yeah. itself, you know? Um, I've heard this. Yeah. And, and the idea of uh, with, with m- ceremonial magic and stuff is that you're basically getting your, your all of your subtle kind of energy right and um and and but but you can also like physically manifest things over time like i'm sure you've heard of creative visualization and all that stuff the secret you know that sort of thing that's all that's like a tiny tiny little bit it's it's kind of like a little piece of um uh, occult magic taken out of that it's a tiny tiny piece of the whole thing but um you know one thing you might want to try, since because it sounds like you're sort of, you kind of want it, you you kind of want that meaning in your life a little bit. I mean, I think everybody wants that. Everybody wants to feel like this isn't fucking pointless, right? Right. Uh, you can do. You can do. Uh, I could, I'll, I'll send you this link, but you can, if you're not afraid of this stuff, and it, it's not scary when you, once you understand what it is, everyone thinks like a pentagram is Satan, it's just not <laughs> any of this shit. It's not at all. Uh, it's kind of funny when you learn what everything represents, but um, you can do simple like manifestation type of thing and, and kind of prove it to yourself that it works. Like I remember back on a show, because I was into this whole, you know, my mom was like a new age or so. She taught me how to visualize and create things. And I would always do it when I was broke and I needed money. And it would always come like in a couple of days. <clears throat> so one time we were working on set for something Tony was doing in Seattle. And I was like, you know, I was young and I was, you know, I'd taken an acid and had these crazy experiences. And I was, you know, at that age where, yeah, I want to share it with everybody. And, you know, so I was like, okay, everybody. We're going to do this experiment, everybody whenever I say it, like just the makeup effects crew, imagine a blue feather, imagine a blue feather that's not that hard to manifest you know it's not that outrageous to find, but it's not something you find every day when's the last time you found a blue feather It's like years and years and years probably right. so we did it, and I would every once in a while I'd go, "Hey everyone, imagine a blue feather, and so everyone on the crew would imagine a bl- blue feather, and eventually one day we were. <laughs> kind of a long story, but one day we went back to this place where we took magic mushrooms and communicated with a dragonfly, which is a whole other story. And right where one of us was sitting, there was a blue feather, like a perfect blue feather just sitting there. I was like, eh, I found it. And it was just like a fun little thing. But if you do, if you do it, it will happen. It totally works. If you do it, it will happen. How
2: long after you imagine the blue feather did the person find it?
0: It was like a week or something two weeks maybe oh my
2: god really yeah
0: yeah we weren't there that long i think we were only there like three weeks or something yeah it was crazy
1: it was was, uh like years later no
0: no no and the other thing it was at this place where me and and uh probably maybe i shouldn't say this but we took something that uh you know like we ate some non-psychedelic mushrooms. How about I put it that way? <laughs> it had this I, crazy experience. And we and we both, and we were all, it was at a swamp. And we were all sitting on the edge of this swamp. And there was a there was a dragonfly, this big ass dragonfly. And we were all we all saw it. And one of us had the idea. It's like call call it over. And it was across the, I swear to God, it was across the the um swamp. And so one of us. You know, I don't remember what order we did it, but one of us was like staring at it and kind of put our attention on it. Came right in front of each one of our faces and just looked at us in our eyes like a dragonfly was looking at us in our eyes. And we weren't even like that. Those things were mild. So we weren't even that messed up. It was, you know, it's very, it was very like low grade. So it, it came, it looked, you know, we'll, we'll say I started first. It came, looked at me in the eye, sat there. And then it went back across and then the next person did it. It came right in front of their like this close to their face. And it was just looking at them. And then it went back and then the third person did it. It went to them and looked And it's like, I saw all this happen. You know, I've been tripping super hard to where it's, you know, hard to see what's going, you know, what's real and what's not. And and I wasn't tripping (laughs) that. You know,
2: my first question was going to be how hard were you?
0: It wasn't hard. It was like way like I could, it wasn't hard at all. It wasn't hard at all. And and I've all, done
2: psilocybin, I know what it's like.
0: Yeah, and this was like a super low dose. It wasn't even like you know, it was kind of disappointing because <laughs> because it wasn't a really good <laughs> one. But I mean that shit happened, and I've got so many stories of stuff like that that happened that I saw also not tripping, weird things like that, to where I'm like, I got I have no doubt that there is this greater thing and it's all good. And when you die, you just Realize, hey, oh, I was God for my life. That I was I was God pretending I was Chet. That was amazing. Okay, what am I gonna be next time? And it's like, uh-huh. you know, so so that kind of, you know, it makes me gives me a sense of purpose, I guess. But if, I hear you. But but if you're, you know, if you're ever interested, man, the thing is, is all you have to do is try it and you'll see. It's like, oh shit. And then when it happens, you go, Oh my God. It's like, <laughs> and your mind tries to rationalize why it happened, and then you try it again. And it happens again, and you go, okay, that must have been this, and then you do it again, and then you're like, you, at a certain point, you're like, okay, I can't rationalize this anymore. You know what I mean? Okay,
2: yo, 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 check this, though. <laughs> can I ask you a question though? Yes. Why the fuck you ain't manifest it yacht, motherfucker?
0: <laughs> I'm working on that now. This is
2: this you is manifest yourself a yacht, yo. What the fuck, my car up
0: I don't want my a yacht. I don't want a yacht, but I do We're want all my
2: bitches, though. <laughs> well, my bitches, though. How come I don't got no mansion and shit? Why not got the playboy mansion, yo? Fuck. Anyway, some of the stuff in the secret I thought was sort of full of shit. Some of it seemed to make some sense. Yeah,
0: some of it is full of shit. Um, it's it's made for Oprah. Making
2: a glass of water angry. I think is kind of horse shit. But
0: yeah, it's it's more like like I know. said, it's a t- it's a tiny little piece of a of an ancient tradition that all cultures do. And have done for years and years and years and kind of got stamped out by Christianity in the the West. But it's really interesting stuff. And like it's it's one of those things, it's not that hard. And if you do it enough times, you're just like, okay, there's something to this. And then you start reading the literature and you realize that all of these spiritual traditions are all saying the same thing, which is, it's all good. Don't worry about anything. It's all love, basically. Everything's kind of made out of love, but just... We're living this illusion of uh, we're living in this world of illusions, this big virtual
2: reality, and it's a game, kind of. Well, I hope so. <laughs> I hope. Well, anyway, um, my dog is freaking out, and I better get going. But to listen, I'd like to do this again, man. Because I know we, really good stuff.
0: Yeah, we didn't. There was a ton of stuff I didn't get to ask you. So let's let's plan on doing it again sometime when you get some free time.
2: Yeah, yeah. and uh, make a mask.
0: Okay. I'll make make a mask. Don't hang up yet. Or you can hang up, I guess, if that you will. want. Um yeah, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate you taking the time. That was super fun. I really enjoyed it. Um, thank you, audience, for listening and thank you for supporting. And if you want to support the podcast, you can go to patreon.com slash dark society. And if you can't afford to do that, you can do that for a buck a month. You get the podcast a day early. If you can't afford that, you can share and like and spread the word because this is kind of a word of mouth thing. And Again, thank you, Jordu, for coming on. It was really great. And um, Can I get a
2: very arrogant plug-in of my own?
0: Absolutely. And anything you yeah anything you want, you can put in the description, but let, let me know. What do you want to promote? Absolutely, you can promote anything.
2: Uh, just if you're interested in monster maquettes and masks and cool shit from a loser, uh, go to jorduschell.com. That's J-O-R-D-U-S-C-H-E-L-L.com. Or you can find me on Instagram as jorduschell.com. Uh, you'll probably find me under a bridge talking to myself as george shell <laughs> so there you go thanks chet cool. i appreciate your time.
0: all right i'm gonna say goodbye to everyone don't hang up yet though let's say goodbye georgie to everybody
2: bye everybody bye bye guys